You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. It's just a solo pod today, but we're starting off our off-season schedule strong with an interview with pitcher list writer and manager Matt Heckman. Before we get into it, though, just a reminder that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to, and leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show. All right, we are talking with pitcherless manager and writer Mac Heckman today. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, and could you introduce yourself to our listeners? What do you do at PL and maybe a bit of your history with fantasy baseball? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on today. So I've been playing fantasy baseball for a while now. Um, I'm about to turn 25. So, I mean, I started probably back when freshman year of high school, I want to say. So it's been a long time. Um, really started to get into the writing end of it at the beginning of tw- end of 2021, beginning of 2022. I started with a lesser known group, Prospects Worldwide. They kind of awesome guys over there that they focus more on the lower level, less fantasy baseball, more just baseball in general, prospects, that kind of thing. Um, joined Fantrax as a staff writer, worked with Chris Clegg, Eric Cross. Um, when both of them were with fan tracks. And then when Chris briefly came over to pitcher list, he actually asked if I wanted to join the dynasty team. So I joined then Chris had to step away and now I'm actually managing the dynasty team. I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan. So knock on wood, things are going pretty well there right now. It's been an exciting time. Um, it was a lot of fun. That's what I first got into baseball when they were um, really, really good. So Oh seven, eight, nine, ten. The Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins era, and then things got a little bit dark for a while. But they're back now, and hopefully, they can finish it off this time. Yeah, we're we're recording this on Sunday, October twenty second, and uh, you guys currently have a three two lead in the in the NLCS. So that's kind of fun, and it feels like Kyle Schwarber. He's one of you know our personal favorite. Uh, <laughs> Uh, fantasy baseball players on the podcast and he's just uh, lighting it up from the plate he is on another level right now I mean like he gets into these runs where he just he can't you can't throw him anything in the strike zone or he's gonna hit it almost 500 feet it feels like (laughs) yeah so (laughs) that home run he hit last night so that game five for the listeners um that home run was insane that he hit and then Harper almost hit one to the exact same spot right yeah is pretty cool that's fun so with dynasty you know we we talk a lot about redraft leagues on on this podcast but dynasty is something that you know uh, i've had a little bit of experience in and i've been part of like a dynasty league for the last two years but what about dynasty fantasy baseball kind of appeals to you um as just like a as a manager so i feel like it's a little less luck oriented there's obviously all sorts of luck involved in fantasy sports your guys get hurt um something drastically changes in a player's profile there's not a whole lot that you can do about that you can draft you can scout to the best of your ability but at the end of the day there's only so much you can control and that's what makes it fun and exciting but at the same time dynasty 
you can build these teams from the ground up. You can, I like the ability to also find players before everybody knows about them. You can find a guy in low A that 95% of the dynasty community hasn't heard of. You can add them to your dynasty team. And in five years, they could be a rising star leading you to championships. I just feel like you have a little bit more control over the situation than you do in a typical redraft league, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I know with my, first dynasty league or only dynasty league and we we did our startup draft and my my initial plan was like i'm just gonna draft like uh old guys like really old guys and then really young guys Mm -hmm. and just hope that the old guys work for a couple years and then they can get replaced by the new guys but unfortunately all my old guys are getting injured so Uh. (laughs) i've been i've been basically uh, out of my control tanking for the last two years but uh it is what it is and then all my young guys got hurt so it is yeah, O'Neal Cruz and Shane Boz for me, man. Th- those were oh, well next year, next year. Yeah, exactly next, next year. This yeah. <laughs> you can. That's the other thing. You can always kick the can down the road. I like uh, if you play a normal redraft league, especially a roto league, a season long roto without head to head. You could be out of it by the middle of the season, right. and so at least if you're playing a dynasty league, you're never really finished. You always have something to compete for something to do, something to work toward in the future. So, I mean, the first dynasty I got into is Atanu. I don't know if you're really familiar with any Atanu, but that was the first one. That was not the kind of unique, really unique niche of dynasty. Yeah, that was your first one? (laughs) Yeah, that was the first (laughs) dynasty league that I actually played in. So, um, it was an adjustment I felt like it was a lot of fun because you still get that dynasty aspect of it, but I didn't get as much prospects oriented as I wanted. The only 40 man rosters and such mm-hmm. an emphasis on current year. It didn't give me as much prospect exposure as I was hoping for. So then I got really into the other aspect of dynasty. Okay, cool. Well, we're here to talk about um, your article, but technically actually a bunch of the people in the dynasty, uh, writing group kind of helped out with this uh shout out um martin sikolsky and jake mache who also contributed to this article um anyone else also helped with with writing um the yeah. pitching prospect to debut article yeah steve dwyer also steve so dwyer, that's right us. yeah that nice. really contributed and made it what it was yeah so uh, if if you're at all interested about you know young pitchers that are up and coming and maybe kind of a little bit off the radar, definitely recommend checking out yeah this every starting pitcher prospect for fantasy baseball 2024 article um, from Matt and the Dynasty team. Uh, I counted, I believe you guys wrote about 149 pitchers here, uh, which is which is a lot, and you know they range from guys who are in single A who have already technically debuted in the major leagues. A lot a lot of names here. For people who are, you know, let's just say more interested in redraft leagues, how would you recommend approaching this article? And like, what are some things that, you know, even even managers who only participate in redraft leagues can get from understanding, hey, there's this guy in double A who's who's could debut in like June for, let's just say, the Reds. How how is this article helpful for like off season prep? So off season prep, it's a little bit. You don't have to read every player 
from every single team. Like you said, there are like almost 150 players included in this article. It would take a long time. And I mean, if you want to sit down and read it, I encourage everybody to because the work that the team did is just incredible. But if you're looking for more focus on redraft and what you need to know now, I would encourage people to just skim through the article, really read maybe the overview and the conclusion for each player. And from there, either on a piece of paper, an Excel sheet, whatever, you can start a list of exactly who you need to be keeping an eye on. There is a loose kind of rough estimate ETA for each player as well, right under the conclusion. So you can see, okay, if I'm playing in a redraft league, these are the players who are going to debut in April or May. And those are some of the guys that you should probably have on your radar right from the start. Whereas if you're waiting and you see a guy with a June ETA or a July ETA, maybe it's somebody that you just write a little note on and say, pay attention to this. We have the stash list articles that come out weekly during the season, but they don't go in depth about a player's arsenal. So maybe if you know a guy that has a lot of upside, I'll use um, Cade Horton as an example from the Chicago Cubs. He's rising up fast. He's not likely to make his debut super early in the season, but he's definitely somebody that has a chance on the upside to be a legitimate fantasy star up on the mound. So maybe you just keep an eye on him and then come May when you want to read a little bit about more what he or more about what he's throwing and his different skill set, you can check this article back out and then get some more in-depth knowledge of is this guy somebody that's just a streamer? Is he going to be a fantasy star? That kind of thing. Yeah, definitely seeing this as a resource that you can use for the entire 2024 season. I think that's that's pretty cool um, because, yeah, you guys do break down, you know, every single pitcher's pitches. And um, even sure, even though there might be some development over, you know, let's just mm-hmm. say the next half season, a lot of times the same stuff is is, you know, similar when they get called up. Yeah, for sure. I think that was the main goal. Because I was talking to Nick a little bit, Nick Polak, about this before the article was even written. And it was how deep did we want to go? And even if a guy might not have a fantasy impact, he and I agree still felt it was important to include those kind of guys. Because the the fantasy baseball community needs to know, okay, this guy just got called up and he might have pretty decent AAA numbers. But he doesn't actually project to be a real fantasy standout. And so... You wouldn't waste picking him up or waste a waiver claim on picking him up or fab or however you want to put it. Yeah, as a Twins fan, I can already recommend just don't bother with picking up Simeon Woods Richardson. It's it's not gonna be, <laughs> it's not gonna be pretty. Um, <laughs> but speaking of guys who have some major league experience like uh, Woods Richardson, um, you know, there's there's a bunch of guys here on this list that do have experience at the MLB level. You know, Sawyer Gibson Long, Chase Silseth, Mason Miller, one of my personal favorites. Uh, Emerson yeah. Hancock, um, all these guys, you know, they technically debuted last year, but they're still kind of considered prospects just because, you know, they didn't get to the, the requisite number of innings. Out, you know, out of all the guys that you, you looked at in this article, um, maybe who are three pitchers that, you know, they technically debuted this past season who might get end up over, overlooked because their 2023 just wasn't that amazing. So I think the first one for me is going to be Connor Phillips. I had the chance to actually write about him because I took the uh, two centrals on the American League and the National League. And he's a pitcher with the Reds. He came over from Seattle, um, joined the Reds organization. He's always posted really, really good strikeout rates throughout the minor leagues. 
Now, he's got two really good pitches in his fastball and slider. So that's why I think he's important that fantasy, or it's important that fantasy managers kind of keep him on the radar. He's trying to work on a curveball. Um, it's got a lot of movement and it just hasn't fully developed yet. So I think the inclusion of a third pitch there could really take him to the next level. He doesn't have the best command. He posts a 6.97 ERA in 20.2 major leagues innings this year. So obviously there are concerns there, but if you want to shoot for somebody with upside, he's got a lot of IVB on his fastball, sits in the upper 90s. His slider is pretty wipeout. I want to, yeah, generated a 48.9 whiff percentage on that slider in that brief minor or major league stint. So he's just the first kind of guy that I would be keeping an eye on if you're looking for somebody. Yeah, and so you mentioned IVB, that's induced vertical break, right? And so yes. how, how does that help that fastball? Uh, I mean, because we think uh, we see upper 90s, we immediately kind of assume, oh, that's got to be, you know, a good pitch blow by blow by batters. But how does that that good induced vertical break help hit, help that pitch? It gives it rising action. So when it comes out of the hand, it kind of sails up and over bats, which helps. It creates some deception. It's not flat when it's coming when the ball is coming in flat. If you're a good fastball hitter, you can get on top of it. And you can actually drive that high fastball right out of the ballpark. So you see that a lot. It happens even with Garrett Cole sometimes. I mean, he's got a great fastball, great metrics on his fastball. But sometimes at the top of the zone, hitters can demolish it. And so when you lack that good induced vertical break, sometimes it just it prevents your fastball from playing up as well as it could with that velocity. Okay, good to know. Uh, yeah, who are some other guys that you think might... Uh might be worth uh, taking a stab at so aj smith shawver said another one um atlanta pitcher he kind of flew through the minor leagues this year he started at high a he had only ever pitched like under 80 innings in his major league career with the uh braves and then smith shawver came up he dominated a high a double a triple a the braves called him up and things did not go great he posted a 4.17 ERA 6.69 FIP or 4.26 ERA. Sorry about that. 6.69 FIP. The strikeouts went way down. The walk rate went way up and the stuff just wasn't as good. Sorry if you hear something running in the background. That's my cat who of course is deciding to be a freak right now while we record this show. Um, But 4.26 ERA 6.69 FIP. The stuff just wasn't as good as what we expected to see in the minor leagues, but he's still only 20 years old. He really had no time to develop. He threw seven innings in high A, or 14 innings in high A, seven innings in double A, 41 innings in triple A. He he hasn't spent any time in the minor leagues, and then he was thrust into this major league atmosphere. So I think there's still a lot of development that can happen with A.J. Smith-Shawver that could really help him to take the next step. And people shouldn't be too worried about such a small... 25 inning sample size at the major league level yeah especially it's interesting because that atlanta team even though you think of you know really high power pitching in terms of um you know spencer strider uh max freed they were dealing with a lot of injuries this season and they were calling up guys left and right i think of like you know dylan dodd you know had a cup of coffee mm-hmm. up, and then he got hurt and so they were like oh well, you know who else can we pick up and yeah, Smith Shaver, I know everyone was kind of excited about him, but it's yeah, kind of crazy to think he's only 20 years old. So, uh yeah, definitely still a lot of development in that arm uh that that uh that is possible. So, I think that's a yeah. yeah, that's a really 
solid pick. I didn't even think of, I didn't even realize he was that young. I knew he was young, but not 20 years old. <laughs> His ascent through the minor leagues was insane. Like you said, they dealt with so many injuries and that kind of forced him up and he looked dominant in the minor leagues, but he didn't get a chance. You usually won't see a pitcher until they're 21, 22, especially with more inning buildup in the minor leagues. And so to see him come up and 4.26 ERA and a small sample, that's not bad anymore. It's not 4.26 ERA is fairly close to average. So I it's expect a quality start. I'm pretty sure. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So he was fine. People see that though. They see the 6.69 FIP. They see his strikeout rate drop way down in that brief sample size and they'll probably be a little bit scared off of him in the future but i'm still in on him he's an extremely talented arm and a good organization too that you trust so i feel like that always helps right yeah good development for sure in in atlanta um okay final name all right um this is one that i struggled to pick because i really loved him going into the season and then he was a pretty massive disappointment Owen White from Texas. He was he's a right hand pitcher, six foot three, one seventy. He his fastball doesn't have the best metrics on it, but he's got a big array of secondary offerings. Um he was really, really good in the minor leagues. Control was his big thing, and that kind of took a random step back this season. His walk rate skyrocketed in triple A. His strikeouts went way down. He walked as many batters as he struck out in triple A. Um he got a little cup of coffee, four innings at the major league level, 11.25 ERA there. But I was he was a top 50 prospect for me for a reason. He was a 55th overall pick. The control was strong. He had good command of all of his secondary offerings. And so I'm not totally willing to write him off yet. He's still only 24. He'll be 24 for almost the entire 2024 season. And I just feel like there's more there. He only gave up an average exit velocity of 86.5 miles an hour. He was able to keep the ball on the ground well. So maybe he got a little unlucky. Maybe there was something else going on there that caused his strikeout rate to drop. I mean, his strikeout rate was putrid in the minor leagues, 13.5% at AAA this year. So it's not an encouraging profile to look at that, but he's got the pedigree that makes me confident he'll be able to bounce back. Yeah, that that Rangers organization actually as a whole has got a lot of interesting pitching prospects who frankly don't know if any of them are really going to pan out. Uh, I mean, the the top two names I'm sure people probably focus on are Jack Leiter and and Kumar Rocker. But like you mentioned, you know, Owen White's there. I really like Mitch. I really like Mitch Bratt. He's in high. He was written about in that article. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like him. He's got a nice fastball. Good curveball. He mixes in a slider and change up as well. The stuff is really good. So if you're any dynasty players listening out there, if you're looking for a little bit of a deeper name, that's some a guy that's really high on my list. Okay, good to know. Um, all right, so dynasty obviously at the end of the day, the majority of the people that you're going to be starting on your team are already established major leaguers, and um, you know dynasty rankings are kind of I wouldn't say fickle. It's like you know how do you balance like you know putting a where do you rank a prospect right in in relation to a bunch of these other major leaguers and so i was just taking a look at fantasy pros they have consensus rankings for you know dynasty uh dynasty teams and just trying to figure out okay where do the pitchers where do the pitchers lie in in those rankings and so it looked like the top three pitchers that have yet to debut who are on that list were ricky tiedemann 
Daniel Espino and Max Meyer, who technically did debut two years ago, but then had Tommy John, so he was out for the last year. Now, <clears throat> the one thing that's that all three of these guys have in common is basically injury concerns. Uh, Tiedemann's got you know some funky stuff with the elbow. Uh, Daniel Espino just can't seem to be healthy at all. Max Meyer obviously coming back from Tommy John. Out of these three, though, Espino's probably not going to contribute in 2024. So between Ricky Tiedemann, who um, kind of high prospect, uh, I think believe he's actually in Arizona Fall League right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then Max Meyer, who I have a soft spot for because he uh, went to the University of Minnesota, which I graduated from. Uh, so I know his game a, li- a little better between the three of these. But between Tiedemann and Meyer, which one do you think has more upside and ultimately will have like a better season in 2024? I'm going to go with Tiedemann here. And it doesn't – I love Ricky Tiedemann. He's a top 10 pitching pro- – he's actually my top pitching prospect on my board. I really like the arm talent. He's showing more consistent with his velocity a little bit. He can sit in the mid-90s from the left side. Really, really good changeup. He's got a sweeper that he's developing and he's working on too. Um, I like Tiedemann's profile, but going with Tiedemann over Meyer doesn't necessarily – speak to me not liking Meyer. It's just he didn't throw a single pitch in 2023. He only threw 54, 67 innings in 2022. There's only so much upside I feel like he's going to be able to have. We saw how careful Miami was with Yuri Perez this year, even though Perez was dominant and they were in a playoff hunt. They're going to be just as careful with Max Meyer coming back. And so Ricky Tiedemann, yes, injuries derailed his 2023 season as well he only threw 42 at 44 innings this year but at the same time he's in the Arizona Fall League he's building up those innings again and he pitched this year so he's gonna have a little bit of a longer leash in 2024 which is why I would go with him over Max Mayer yeah I I guess maybe obviously it's only October but do you think Tiedemann ends up making the opening day rotation for the Jays I don't think he cracks the opening day rotation. I think they're going to be a little move him a little bit slower. I think he's going to start in AAA, show that he can keep the walk rate down. You saw that kind of spike when he went to Double A this year. It went up, and even in AAA in the four innings, he was walking some. So I think he's going to start in AAA, but I think you see him before June would be my guess. What's the ETA, the ETA in our? In the article is early 2024, possibly opening day. So I believe that was part in that for the AL East. Um, I could see it. I wouldn't bet on it, though. I think mm-hmm. he's up before June would be my guess. Okay. Good to know. So um, I want to focus a little bit on the central divisions in both leagues for a bit since you, you wrote on those blurbs. And in both those divisions, we've got a couple guys who were high draft picks uh, but haven't yet reached the AAA level. And I'm Speaking in particular to uh, Jackson Joby and then Paul Skeens. Um, obviously, Paul Skeens number one draft pick in the 2023 draft, so he's a bit more uh, in the mind of a bunch of managers, I'm sure. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll come in and say as, as like a someone who you know dabbles a little bit in in dynasty and knows some of these you know guys. I would say my my thoughts is that it's going to be tough to rationalize drafting these guys and stashing them on my redraft leagues because it feels like it's going to be like at least three months before they come up uh to the majors um but what do you like about both these guys and if you had to pick between the two 
who are you taking at a dynasty startup draft? This is so hard because um, prospect list that goes out at the end of each month during the regular season, the final one, I had Poskins at 10, Jackson Job at 12. So they are neck and neck, my number two and number three pitching prospects right behind Ricky Kiedemann. And so based on those rankings, you'd think the answer is Skins. I'm going to go with Job here. I was thinking about it a little more. Both of them have four-seam fastballs that they love to throw. Skins is rated a 70 future value on Fangraphs. Job's is only a 60. I actually like Job's more right now. Uh, Skins does not have that IVB that we talked about earlier, the induced vertical break. So that scares me a little bit. If it gets flat, if major league hitters are able to do more damage on that at the top of the zone. And then they both have really good sliders. And I think Jobs is just better. Like more movement, uh, more deception with his fastball. And he's got better control of it right now. I mean, Skins Skins has only thrown like under 10 innings at the major league level and he was dominant at LSU. So I think he's an amazing talent, but I'd rather have Job right now. And it's really, really close. And you mentioned they might not debut for a couple of months. More and more pitchers are skipping AAA entirely. And one thing about stashing that I kind of thought about while I was writing those stash list articles this year I would rather stash a guy with more upside, even if he's going to contribute a little bit later. I think the whole reason you stash is to gain a competitive advantage on your opponents to be ahead on some guys. And so stashing a guy who might be okay doesn't hold as much value, in my opinion, anyway. Stashing a guy who could be a legitimate difference maker, even if you have to wait a couple of months to see him. Yeah, I mean, this isn't exactly the the same parallel because he debuted pretty quickly, actually. But um, I remember, like, trying to target Grayson Rodriguez in drafts last year because it it felt like the Orioles were kind of going to do the thing where they left him off the roster for just a couple weeks and then bring him up. um, Yeah. You know, as basically not as soon as possible, but, you know, within a reasonable time frame, um, mainly to take advantage of, you know, the, the rules that MLB has set up for, you know, teams to kind of gain draft picks in the in the upcoming draft if their rookies do well. And so I think maybe that is also a little bit of incentive to um, stash some of these guys who maybe the timetable looks like a little bit longer, but because of, you know, different sort of motivations in the front office, maybe they get, you know, called up a little bit quicker than expected. Yeah. I also don't think the price tag on either of these, because they haven't touched AAA yet, mm-hmm. will be as high. I don't think there's talk of either one really making the opening day rotation like there was with Rodriguez. Right. Yep. So I feel like that, that really elevated his draft day price because that was even too rich for my blood. Like you were saying, trying to figure out, okay, when is he up? Will he contribute right away? I don't think you'd have to spend as high of a draft pick on either either of these arms, but I think they have a chance to be just as impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here because, after all, you did write about the Twins, and that's my team. So uh, the one guy I think that's been on a lot of maybe Twins uh, fans' mind is David Festa. Um, and I you know, I saw him play like one minor league start, and it was all right. Um, but what, what do you like about Festa – and what do you see his ceiling? Is he someone who could contribute in fantasy baseball in the future? I think he can. He's posted good strikeout rates. Um, 
the swinging strike. He's got really good stuff. So I could definitely see him having a fantasy impact and a real-life impact for the Twins. I think he can be a very good pitcher. His fastball is really good. He's just a unique He's a unique player because of his size. That six foot six frame, and you worry about how that's going to really hold up over a full starter's workload. Um, he's a, like I said in the article, he's only ever touched 103.2 innings pitched. So you don't know if what happens when he has to throw 150 innings. I know that starters don't have to work as long anymore. Innings are less of a requirement in today's day and age, but I'm not sure how that body's going to hold up. Now, if it does, I think he's got a really good chance to be great. His fastball is really good. His changeup is excellent. He got a ton of whiffs on that when he went to AAA last year. Um, So that's a good one-two punch. That development of his slider is what could take him to the next level. Um, He hangs some of them. He doesn't have a great feel for the pitch. And fastball changeup guys don't typically have the best success at the major league level. They really need a third breaking pitch or a third pitch and a second secondary offering to mix into that. But he's got a good stable foundation with that fastball. And so if he can just take that next step and the durability works out, I think he can absolutely have an impact for fantasy baseball and definitely in 2024. Okay. Thanks for giving me some hope. Uh, (laughs) And I do want to pivot to the Brewers uh, because I have a couple of these guys, their pitchers on my dynasty team as well. So again, just selfishly using this as an excuse to talk about some of my, my prospects, specifically Robert Gasser and Jacob Mizorowski and uh, Gasser, you know, there was some hype, maybe thinking that he might be able to debut in 2023. Um, And then Mizorowski, there was a lot of like midseason hype, I think, around him, and then it feels like that's mm-hmm. kind of gone away a little bit. Um, the Brewers organization obviously is, you know, vaunted for their development uh, ability. You know, Corbin Burns there, obviously, and uh, plenty of other, you know, high quality pitchers. For Gasser and Mizorowski, though, you know, what do you see as their outlook? Are they guys who, you know, will contribute? in a way that you know we're expecting to see in terms of their ceiling or are they more guys who you know maybe they're they're just never going to hit that they are almost polar opposites of each other if we're going to be completely honest i mean gasser is he's had good minor league success he's got deception on his pitches he comes with a pretty deep arsenal of pitches but he doesn't have the stuff that really speaks to his fantasy ceiling He's a fine pitcher. I think he's going to contribute in the major leagues in 2024, but he almost feels like a better real-life pitcher than fantasy asset. I'm not sure how high the strikeout rate will be against major league hitters. Um, There's just nothing that jumps off the page when you talk about Gasser. His stat lines look good, but I'm not sure he'll ever be that difference maker. I think he's more of a streamer than he is a legitimate fantasy option for you for season-long play. Um, Mizorowski is the total opposite, high-variance kind of guy. He has electric stuff. His fastball consistently hits triple digits. His slider is wipeout. He got a ton of hype around the um, Futures game after he dominated. He was consistently hitting like 102 in the Futures game. His stuff is incredible but he has no control over it. 
it he walks a ton of batters the ball lands out of the strike zone all the time he doesn't work particularly late in the games so there's some pretty heavy relief risk with his profile and some pretty high bust risk so if you're looking for a guy that is going to eat a lot of innings and produce mediocre results you want Gasser. If you're trying to shoot for the stars, you want Mizorowski. Yeah, definitely looking for the guy with mediocre results. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that. I mean that's good to know because a lot of these young guys, right? It's you know they come out with all these elite stuff, and it takes a while for them to kind of work through all the all those issues, basically in the minors. And you know Mizorowski is only 21, but. There's some stuff there that you know could be a little worrisome, but maybe that's something that he he and the Brewers are able to figure out uh, over the off season and and maybe still in the minors. Yeah, I mean, he's he ranks really high on a lot of prospect reports. He's a top 100 prospect for me just based on upside alone. He has a chance to be an ace of a staff that he's got that good of stuff. He's got a chance to be dominant in fantasy baseball and post those strikeout rates you look for you just worry about the consistency of it all all right so i think one thing that's cool about these prospect lists is i think we've seen in major league baseball the past couple seasons and maybe that's just because i'm paying attention to it more we've got a lot of young guys who are making big impacts um and kind of our you know top 40 pitchers in terms of fantasy you know some names that come to mind for me spencer strider obviously um bobby miller for the dodgers cole riggins who uh, is kind of a meme but also like it's, it's a little bit legit there um tanner bybee and really kind of the host of of guardians pitchers um on that squad just to just to name a few are there any guys on this list that you know we haven't mentioned already who you think should be on the radar for fantasy managers either you know late in drafts or on the early season waiver wire? Yeah, so one of my favorite pitchers that I he was one of my breakout prospect predictions before last season and mixed bag of results, but Wick, Wickelman Gonzalez for Boston, he's got electric stuff too. He strikes out a ton of batters and he always has. Another guy kind of like Mizorowski, who the control is a major question mark there. But if we're going to praise Mizorowski and rate him highly, I think Gonzalez needs to be in that conversation. He's got wipeout stuff. He's got a good fastball. I mean, hitters have looked baffled trying to barrel him up in the minor leagues. Uh, Just filthy stuff. 2.24 ERA in AA last year. And he got off to a rocky start. And then he was really dominant down the stretch. So he's one of my favorite pitchers. Um, I'll mention a couple of others. Robbie Snelling is a guy that's getting a lot of praise, it feels like, right now. This is more me offering <laughs> some caution on Snelling. He's got a good fastball and a good slider, and that's pretty much it right now. He dominated low A. He dominated high A. And his ERA looks really good in double A in the 17 innings, but you saw his strikeout rate go down and the walk rate go up. That scares me a little bit moving forward. So Snelling is a guy that if he can develop that curveball changeup, whatever you want to put as that third pitch for him, he's only 19 too. So he's got plenty of time to develop in San Diego's system. Snelling could take the next step, but I feel like fantasy and dynasty managers need to pump the brakes a little bit there. And then Cole Franklin on the Chicago Cubs is one of my favorite pitchers 
that I found doing this article. I had never heard of Cole Franklin before I sat down and I was like, okay, who can debut for the Cubs in 2024? And Cade Horton jumped off the list because he is going to be a stud. Um, there were some guys that had already debuted in Caleb Killian, Jordan Wicks, and then Cole Franklin I stumbled upon. And he dealt with injuries, I believe, last year. And then he was really good. His fastball sits in the mid-90s, can touch 100 at times. He's got a new slider that he's working on. Um, he got off to a really, really good start last year. And then his stuff kind of tailed off toward the end of the season. So there is some relief risk there. But he might just be building his innings up. He's got a really good – he's got a pitcherish profile and is somebody that I feel like not a lot of people have heard of or even talking about, but somebody that I really, really like moving forward. Yeah, I think even even if you consider like team context, um, you know, what you were mentioning with some of these guys, um, specifically, you know, let's just talk about, um, it was Winkleman, right? Um, right yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like you look at Boston's rotation, it's uh, Chris Sale, who's, you know, a little dubious on when, whatever he's truly healthy, Nick Pavetta, Brian Bellow, Cotto Crawford, Tanner Howard, not exactly guys who, you know, are, are mainstays in the rotation. So maybe, you know, someone has an injury. Rodriguez gets called up. That's, you know, right. that's, it, you know, just that happened. You know, we Gonzalez, saw that with Atlanta, Gonzalez, right? Sorry. With Gonzalez. Sorry, yeah, sorry, good. Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we saw that in with Atlanta, right? Where mm -hmm. AJ, AJ right. Schmidt-Schaber got in, picked up. And I know there was, a, yeah, there was a lot of preseason hype, I think this year about um, Snelling, uh, not in terms of like picking up and redress, but, you know, think like, oh, maybe this kid's got a shot to yeah. to push the the major league roster, especially since the, the tail end of that, Project's rotation, like, also a little bit work in progress. You know, they, they, I feel like they couldn't truly figure it out the entire time. And, um, but yeah, he's so young. There's, there's still a lot of development there. So, um, just definitely a lot of interesting names there. Cole Franklin. Yeah. I've never heard of this guy, but I'm just reading your, the write up. It's like, oh, he's a 60 future value changeup. That's got to be a good thing. You know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, every maybe... pitch I looked at with Franklin. I was like, this looks really good. This yeah. <laughs> looks really good. This this also looks really good. Yeah. Why why have I not heard of this guy yet? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the one guy. I mean, there were a couple of guys that I was like, oh, I really like him more than I thought. But that was the one guy I had never heard of that I was like, he's could be really, really good and break out and take the next step next year. Yeah. Uh yeah, definitely recommend people to check out this article and and you know, like Matt said, uh, keep it bookmarked. You know, the, a lot of times you're you're gonna hear, let's just say in mid June, some random dudes getting called up for a spot start. Maybe it's worth a stream, but you know, checking out this article and figuring out, you know, what's his what's his arsenal? What is he good at? Does it make sense to to pick him up for a stream in this case? Uh, I think that's uh, really good advice. And yeah, 149 write ups, just really impressive from uh, you and the Dynasty team. So uh, that wraps up our interview today. Um, Matt, is there anything that you want to plug? Maybe, uh, you know, a way that people can reach you on social media, uh, anything coming up uh, in terms of it, coming from the Dynasty team uh, in this offseason for Pitcher List? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter a lot. I tweet a lot more during the regular season right now. It's pretty Phillies focused, honestly. But um, tweet all of my articles there at Heckman underscore Matt 115 Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Um, can always find all of my articles on fan tracks and pitcher list there with the link 
Um, the Dynasty team is working hard, even though it's the offseason. We have, in the same way that this pitcher article came out, we have one for hitters set to come out in a couple of weeks. So we're working really hard on that, trying to get that ready for everybody for the same thing. can help you year-round, help redraft, help Dynasty managers, just get a better understanding of who some of these prospects are. Because as you mentioned earlier, we're seeing more and more come up through the minor leagues, whether that's a result of the CBA or just players coming into professional baseball more talented than they ever have been. But they keep coming up. And so we have that coming at the end of October. We're going to focus on a lot of first-year player draft articles in November and then get ready for next season. Yeah, if, if this pitcher's article was 149 pitchers, I'm kind of scared at how long the, the hitter's article is going to be. Um, but it's a good thing that we don't have to read it all in one go and instead use it as a reference because, uh, yeah, that's going to be incredibly helpful. Um, yeah, again, thanks for coming on the pod, Matt. Uh, always uh, good to talk some Dynasty baseball on this podcast, even though we focus on redraft a lot. Um, and, yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, listeners can check out, you know, the content that the Dynasty team is putting out. Uh, super high quality stuff throughout the entire year. Uh, as an editor, I look, I tend to read the stash list articles a lot because those are the ones that I'm editing over the weekend. And those are always interesting just to know who's coming up and who's got a shot at maybe um, starting in the majors in the next couple of weeks. So definitely recommend people to check out those articles. Even if you're not a dynasty uh, manager, that can be really helpful for redraft leagues. So uh, definitely check those out. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thanks again to Matt Heckman for coming on the show. We'll be doing shorter episodes like this every other week throughout the offseason, just interviewing writers and seeing what's new on PitcherList. Now, you can find us at ThisWeekPL on Twitter, or send us your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find myself on Twitter at TheJohnKuh, and Lee on Twitter at Regicidal. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the PitcherList podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us on the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. There will be plenty of chatter this week about the World Series, so come check out all we have to offer. That's all for this week. We'll be back next time with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For Lee, I'm John, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.